To know things, you have to learn things. Surprise! Dearly beloved, we are gathered here this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work to join this vampire and this other vampire in unholy matrimony. That's right. It's time. It's a nice day for a white wedding. Hey, little sister, what have you done? <laughs> I don't know why you're so good at, at doing the, the wedding spiel, but <laughs> you certainly are. Um, and funny I, enough, I, I can actually uh, perform ceremonies. Well, I wish I knew that, and I I may have to use your services in the in the future. Um, so, br- brief brief story aside, uh, or uh, hello, I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prillen, uh, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work by the one and only Samantha Har. That's me. And this is episode two sixty eight, where we go over the Crimson Vow release notes. All right, what now? You may need my services. Gosh, I don't know. Yeah, I, d- I didn't know you were ordained or whatever the, the term is. So, so funny enough, while, while it is true that I am still Samantha Har, um, I think since the last episode we recorded, I done went and got married. You are now uh, Mrs. Har. I am now Mistress Har. Mis- Mistress Har. <laughs> That's, this it's is the much. right set to adopt that name. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit much, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, so isn't that something? Good good timing with the wedding theme. Um, yeah. Although flavor-wise, I don't know if I just missed it or what, but I didn't know until like a week or two before this set was coming out that it was going to be wedding-themed. I don't think I even knew that that these two vampires knew each other, <laughs> let like alone wedding invitation didn't, didn't tip you off? I, I, listen, you know, listen. I have no defense for myself, okay? I have no defense. <laughs> yes. All right. But none of that, you're here, you, the listeners, are here as we discuss all uh, 345 cards from Crimson Vow. We're going to go over them one at a time. No, we are not. No. No, absolutely. You stop right there, mister. (laughs) No. We have a curated list. Let's get on to the actual mechanics. So first up is everyone's favorite new mechanic that nobody has any complaints about and nobody wants to clown on. Um, we have Cleave. An example of Cleave, we have Path of Peril, which is one black black for a sorcery. And the Cleave cost is four generic white black. Um, if you look at the text of these cards, you'll see brackets, in this case, destroy all creatures, and in brackets, with mana value two or less. So if you pay the Cleave cost, you get rid of the brackets. So it would just be destroy all creatures. So that's that's pretty cool. And so what happens if you don't pay the cleave cost? Then you get all the text. You get all the text. Okay. <clears throat> Go ahead and say your line that you, that you wrote in here, Brian. Oh, I was like, like my card? Thanks, it has brackets. There you go. So yeah, cast the card for normal cost. You get full text. Um, a cleave cost is an alternative cost that's paid instead of the spell's mana cost. The mana value will stay the same even though you pay, even if you pay the cleave cost. So for Path of Peril, the mana value would still be three, not six, even though you may pay to cleave it. Um, You can't... Cleave it to beaver. (laughs) That was good. I like that. Cleaving Las Vegas. Okay, enough of you. 
Um, so you can't cast a spell for both its cleave cost and another alternative cost. For example, if an effect gives a Path of Peril in your graveyard a flashback cost of one black black, you can't cast it from your graveyard for its cleave cost. That would be really cute if you could, though. Mm. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, for other people's definition of fun. Fun if you enjoy chaos. If an effect <laughs> allows you to quote-unquote, cast a spell without paying its mana cost, you can't cast that spell for its cleave cost. Boo. Yep. So I I, I got a bone to pick with all y'all out there in the audience. I, I'm sick of this conversation of is cleave actually just kicker? Are all mechanics actually just kicker? Because this is the Magic the Gathering version of the is a hot dog a sandwich argument. Like, enough. <laughs> Sure, like, yes and no, just enough. It it is one of those ar- <laughs> it is one of those arguments when you just want to appear like I'm smart. It's all kicker me. Everything's everything is kicker if you really want to stretch the definition of every single thing in the universe. Yeah. Now, now, however, let's actually be smart for a second. Uh, when you cast a spell for its cleave cost, that spell doesn't have any of the text in the square brackets while it's on the stack. Okay, no, we don't have the full rules for cleave yet. Okay, so we're just right. going off of this out of out of the release notes. So what that probably means is that cleave is going to be a text changing effect like overload, and probably hypothetically, you know, I'm making an assumption here. Um, it's probably casting it for its cleave cost is going to be copyable, but at the time of this recording, those details aren't available yet. They will probably be available tomorrow. After we've recorded, but before I posted, so it'll look like we were stupid. Nah, we're winging it. We're doing our best. We are very smart. All right. Next up, we have training. Uh, Training is a mechanic that appears on creatures. Okay. Uh, For example, Griff Rider. Uh, Griff Rider also is in uh, every Craigslist ad ever. Uh, But for two and a white... Uh, Griff Rider is a 2-1 human knight with flying and training. Training means whenever this creature attacks with another creature with greater power, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. So cute. It is. So flavor. uh, Keep your heels down and bend at the hips as your mount takes flight. She'll do the rest. I I don't like the knees. Like, I realize that they're horse knees, but like... Birds, birds shouldn't have horse knees. I just realized what you're talking about, and I am so sad. What? That that is awful. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Why are they so spindly? I don't I, like things I with don't spindly know. legs. There's another card in last set where the griffin's like coming down, and its horse legs are straight out with its hooves like at a 90 degree angle, and it's it's just wrong looking. Anyway, talking about training. Uh, training only triggers when a creature with training and a creature with greater power are declared as attackers, i.e. turned sideways, not put into the battlefield, tapped on attacking or anything like that. Okay, so you got to have both. Creature with training, creature with greater power than the training creature are turned sideways. Something that boosts the power afterwards won't factor in, like when X attacks, it gets plus, you know, plus one, plus O until end of turn doesn't do anything however effects like attacking creatures get plus one plus one plus oh would factor in 
<laughs> but since it applies to both creatures, you didn't actually raise one above the other. It's just it's both in that particular example. Um, once a creature's training ability has triggered, destroying the other attacking creature isn't going to stop anything. Okay? Yeah. So it's still going to get that counter. All right. What we got next? Next we have the blood tokens. Who's excited for blood? So blood tokens are the newest type of named artifact tokens like food, clue, treasure. You remember those. Yeah, I, so, don't, like, I don't like blood near my food. Well, you're not but, a vampire. You're not a Dracula. Well, I, I know, but I think, I, think. I think that just me, myself, my food tokens will need to be on one side of the battlefield and my blood tokens will be, need to be on the other. I have just no proof that you're not a Dracula. Because, ew. Maybe you're just the kind of Dracula that wants one of those like partitioned plates. <laughs> like the little kids like yeah. the mac and cheese goes to, here you just don't want to touch yeah i don't like my food to- so the mac and cheese goes here the blood goes here and the chicken nuggies go here <laughs> anyway <laughs> blood tokens are artifacts named blood token with one tap discards a card sacrifice a token draw a card lots of moving parts but essentially it's pay one sack a blood token and cycle yeah not too bad not too bad you can't sacrifice blood tokens to pay multiple costs. That yeah. seems obvious. Who's trying to do that? Well, I mean, there's just uh, types of things that, like, if you have a, a card that says, you know, like, sacrifice a blood token and you've got two of them or two cards that do that, you can't say, I'm going to sacrifice this one blood token and it's going to satisfy both both costs. I wish that's how paying for things worked in real life. Oh, yes. I will like to buy all the cars, please. I would have a lot more really dumb stuff just sitting around my home. Anyway, some triggered abilities trigger, quote-unquote, whenever you sacrifice a blood token. These abilities trigger regardless of why you sacrificed that blood token. Oh, why? Interesting. Tell me why. I don't... The amount of times we get on here and just sing dumb old songs, like... Maybe we ought to have a side episode where we do just that. I'm down. Are you saying you want it that way? I do. do want it that way brian all right okay anyway blood tokens some spells that instruct you to create a blood token require targets you can't cast these spells without choosing all required targets and if all of those targets become illegal targets the spell won't resolve and you won't create any blood tokens none for you yep. like uh an example is bloody betrayal bloody betrayal uh, yeah let's take a look at this guy um for two and a red it's a sorcery Gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap that creature. It gains haste until end of turn. Create a blood token. There he is, the sorcery. Yep. yep. So if that creature gets gacked before you get before bloody betrayal resolves, um, you know, you, you don't get your blood token. Have you noticed a lot of the cards with blood token? They have these little the little um, uh, red protogen mo- mo- uh, molecules floating in the air. I think I thought, oh, I think I, mean, I thought those were flower they're, they're like, petals, but now I, that I look close, yeah. I mean, they might be. Maybe they You're going to quickly petals. discover that science was my worst topic in school. I'm sitting here like, what are those hemoglobins? <laughs> That's a red blood cell. It is. I don't know. It is a hemoglobin. <laughs> hemoglobin. That sounds like that should be a card name. It does, too. Dang, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, hold on. We need to look. Is that a is that a card name real quick? Hemogoblin. How do we suggest this to Watsi without actually suggesting no. it to Watsi so that they won't do it? 
Hemo. Now I don't know how to spell. Um, nope. No, there's not a Hema Goblin. That needs to... That needs to change. That's pretty dang good. I mean, it is. It's pretty disturbing. Oh, and you know oh. what? Somebody came up to me and was like, you know what? There aren't any goblins in this set. And I love that people just come up to me and say that for... Like, they, I don't even know who you are. Like, why are you telling me this? But, like... But maybe there should have been a goblin, all right? There probably should. Maybe there should have been a hemoglobin. Innistrad ain't got no time for no goblins. Every set should have goblins. All right. Anyway, so. tell these nice people about Disturb. Okay, so Disturb is a returning mechanic, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. We're going to spend some time on it. So it is. it was first debuted in Midnight Hunt. Uh, a card from this set that has Disturbed is Distracting Geist. It is a two-white spirit for that's a 2-1. When Distracting Geist attacks, tap target creature defending player controls with the Disturb of 4 and a white. What Disturb means is you may cast this card from your graveyard transformed for its Disturb cost. And Distracting Geist transforms into Clever Distraction, which is basically an enchant an aura that kind of does the same thing. Okay, so for the full details, go listen to our Midnight Hunt episode, Okay. A uh, few quick notes. When you cast a spell for its disturbed cost, you're going to put the card on the stack backside up. It's the only time a card, the a transforming double face card, is back face up on the stack. Okay. That is weird. Disturb is still. I know. Um, uh, disturb is still an alternate cost and subject to cost increases and reductions. The mana value is determined by the mana cost of the front face. If you somehow copy a disturbed spell while on the stack like with Lithoform Engine or something like that, the copy will be a token of the back face of the card. Okay? It's a little weird. And then so all weird. Yeah, and then all Disturbed cards have the, you know, if this would be put into the graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. That includes countering it while it's on the stack, but only if it's backside up. Um, back, then, back side up. Yeah, let me go ahead and say, like, uh, real quick, also returning mechanic is transforming double face cards with, like, night and day and all that stuff. Whew, that's a lot. Go listen to the Midnight Hunt episode. We spend, like, 20 minutes talking about it. Speaking of day and night, by the way. Yes. Well, speaking of returning mechanics, we have exploit coming up, which is a returning keyword from Cons of Tarkir block, which was the first block in which I really learned how to play Magic, so a little nostalgia there. Okay. So, let's look at an example. We have... Yeah, we got the Scooby-Doo villain right here. (laughs) We do, too. Diver Scab. Scob? Scab? Scab. Yeah, he's crossing the picket line. Yeah, he looks scabby. All (laughs) right, so for three blue-blue, you have a creature zombie. It's a 3-5 with exploit. When this creature enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a creature. And then when Diver Scab exploits a creature, target creature's owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library. So yeah, exploit is a triggered ability. Exploit means when this creature enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a creature. Typically, cards with exploit have another triggered ability that cares about whether or not you exploited a creature. And a creature with exploit quote-unquote exploits a creature when the controller of the exploit ability sacrifices a creature as that ability resolves. So you can't sacrifice, and and kind of like we were talking about before, you can't sacrifice more than one creature to any one exploit ability. Okay. Makes sense. So timing of this. Step one, creature with exploit enters the battlefield. Step two, exploit trigger goes on the stack. Step three, exploit trigger resolves. You may or may not sacrifice a creature. 
Step four, second ability triggers and is put on the stack. Yep. When when the exploit ha- when you sacrifice. Assuming, yeah, you did in fact do a sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> so now, if diver, diver Scab dies or is otherwise removed from the battlefield after the exploit trigger is put on the stack but before it resolves, sacrificing a creature won't do anything. Ooh, that's yeah. a bummer. Yeah, because the, the actual ability that triggers when you do exploit is on a permanent that's no longer on the battlefield. Womp womp. <clears throat> You can, however, sacrifice the Diver Scab to its own exploit ability. Yep. Self-betrayal. Right. And it would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for those meddling kids. All right. Well, this next one, I don't even remember what this is. Yeah. So this is Soul Bond. This is a mechanic that was in Avacyn Restored. Uh, this is not a mechanic that is actually in Crimson Vow, the set. It is in Crimson Vow, the commander product. Um, so an example card is Thundering Mightmare. This dude not, rules. Not Thundering Nightmare, Thundering Mightmare. Has Soul Bond. I'll explain what that is in just a second. As long as Thundering Nightmare is paired with another creature, each of those creatures has, whenever an opponent casts a spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. So Soul Bond, the text on that is you may pair this creature with another unpaired creature, then either enters uh, when either enters the battlefield they remained paired for as long as you control both of them so basically if you drop the soul bond creature first and that's your only creature and then you drop a second creature you can they can get married they're married all they're this married. horse this horse man <laughs> demon <laughs> this horse spirit might can mare. get married <laughs> might mare thank you very who much who wants to marry the might mare <laughs> whoa that's like a who watches the watchman right Okay. I'm sure he um, will find a lovely husband or bride. And if you have a, say, a bear cub or a mite sliver, let's say a mite sliver, and you cast Thundering Might Mare, well, if uh, Might Sliver, which may or may not be an actual card, um, is unpaired, they can they can get married. They can get might married. <laughs> All right. Neither, the Soul Bond ability does not target any creature. Okay. It's just, it enters the battlefield. You know, and then you can be like, and not now kiss. Um, <laughs> now, you must control another unpaired creature at the moment a creature with soul bond enters the battlefield or the soul bond ability won't trigger at all. Uh, however, the creature that pairs with a creature with soul bond isn't chosen until the soul bond ability resolves. Okay, so it's kind of weird. So if you drop it and all you have is your bear cub, it'll trigger and you only have the one choice, but you don't actually choose the bear cub until the ability resolves. Okay. If the pair is broken, so if either one of them leaves the battlefield, Dude, the bonuses and abilities granted, it is it is till death do it till uh, leaves the battlefield do us part. <laughs> okay, the bonuses immediately disappear. This is really on theme for a, a wedding set. It really is. It's pretty cute. I like yeah. that. So if a creature with uh, with soul bond is paired to another creature with soul bond, each of them will receive each bonus, or each of them will receive both bonuses. And if you control multiple unpaired creatures with soul bond and another creature enters the battlefield, each soul bond ability will trigger uh, the soul bond abilities uh, that try to resolve after you, but soul bond abilities that you try to resolve after you pair the creature have no effect. So, so basically, you know, you drop the creature and the first trigger that resolves, they have a chance to get married. And then, and then the next one comes in is just not allowed to object to that union. Okay. And then here's another neat thing. Once they're once they're married, even if 
the, the paired creature with soul bond loses soul bond, it and the creature it's paired with remain paired. Aww. Yeah. All well, right. It's rather touching. <laughs> it is. It is uh, uh, adorable. Such flavor. Yes. So, what we got for specific stuff? Yeah, let's dive into the card-specific notes. So here we go. Let's take a look at some specifics. First up, we have Alchemist's Gambit for one red red for a sorcery. And oh, here we go with Cleave for the Cleave cost is Mm -hmm. four generic blue, blue, red. So pricey. Take an extra turn after this one. Oh, I see why. (laughs) During that turn, damage can't be prevented. And here come the brackets. At the beginning of that turn's end step, you lose the game. Mm -hmm. End bracket. Exile Alchemist's Gambit. That is a gambit. That is some high drama. There's... That's a whole lot of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. So notes on this card. If multiple extra turn effects resolve on the same turn, the most recently created turn is taken first. So if you cast an Alchemist Gambit, then cast another Alchemist Gambit for its cleave cost, the cleave extra turn will be taken before the lose the game turn. I remember a very very kind patient judge having to sit Mm -hmm. down with me at a GP and explain this to me like I was five, I think back during like when, was it Emrakul? Was it, I don't know. One mm-hmm. of the Eldrazi did some stuff like this yeah. and it was just, the promised it end. blew my mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you somehow skip the extra turn from Alchemist Gambit, the delayed trigger never triggers. Why does it say thanks Chronotog? What did Chronotog do? Look up Chronotog. Oh my God, I have to read. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm going to have to read. Yeah. What's Chronotog do? Chrono like time? Time tog? Uh, it is. It is. Skip your next turn. Oh, look at that. Okay. Yeah. Has an activated ability. It eats, you know, some some togs. Some atogs eat enchantments. Some eat artifacts. This one eats turns. That's really cute. Is that the, like, a tog gimmick? I yeah. don't know. So so pay, pay your three mana for your alchemist ga- uh, gambit, and then eat that extra turn. <laughs> Delicious. Step three, uh, profit. All right, so exiling Alchemist Gambit is part of resolving the spell. If countered, it will go to the graveyard as normal. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. All right. So the next card that we're going to talk about is Ancestral Anger. It is a one red, sorry, it is a single red for a sorcery that says target creature gains trample and gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is one plus the number of cards named Ancestral Angler, Anger, in your graveyard. Draw a card. Ooh. Yeah, so that's actually, so one red mana, draw a card. Um, I like this. So the last part of resolving a spell is putting it into the graveyard. So this Ancestral Anger that you are casting isn't in the graveyard to count itself. So the first time you cast it, uh, X is going to be one. You know, this first Ancestral Anger, unless you've done some milling and stuff like that. Makes sense. All right. Next up, we have Ancient Lumberknot for two black green. It's a creature tree folk, one four. Mm-hmm. Each creature you control with toughness greater than its power assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. Ooh, yeah. fancy. So, yeah, very, very good note here. This doesn't actually change the creature's power. So that'll, that'll certainly matter in the layers and all that. It only changes the amount of combat damage assigned. All other cards that check power and toughness use the actual values. So don't don't make things more complicated for yourself. Don't it's, do it. It's butt damage. 
all but. Yep. Oh, it's this absolute dump truck. <laughs> this dump truck of a lumber knot. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that sentence has never been spoken in the English language. We say a lot of things that have probably yep. never been spoken right. in the English language. All right. Arm of the Cathars. The Cathars. The Cather. We, we made that joke last release notes. I don't think we have any resolution as to how to pronounce this word. Cathar. Okay, for three, sorry, for one white white, it is a sorcery. It says, up until end of turn, target creature gets plus three, plus three. Up to one other target creature gets plus two, plus two. And up to one other target creature gets plus one, plus one. Those creatures gain vigilance until the end of turn. Alright, so this is in here because the you can do a little weird stuff with the uh, the targeting. So you have to target a creature to get the plus three, plus three. Okay. You can target a creature to get the plus two, plus two. Or you can target another creature to get the plus one, plus one. Those those two creatures can't be the same. So you can't be like, uh, I'm going to give plus three, plus three to this creature. And this other creature is going to get both the plus two, plus two, and the plus one, plus one. That doesn't work. That would be nice, but yeah, unfortunately. Yep. yep. So... That's that's basically it. If you target three creatures, they gotta all be different. All right. Next up, we have Bioloom Egg, which turns into in, into Bioloom Serpent. So the front side of this Bioloom Egg is a creature serpent egg. So zero four with Defender. When Bioloom Egg enters the battlefield, Scry two. When you sacrifice Bioloom Egg, return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So, flipsy side, Bioloom Serpent. It is a creature serpent. Sacrifice two islands. Bioloom Serpent can't be blocked this turn, and that dude's a 4 4. So, mm-hmm. of note here, another effect has to let you sacrifice Bioloom Egg. You can't just to choose to sack it, there, there is no inherent way to sack it on the card itself. So pair it up with something. For Bioloom Serpent, you are sacrificing two lands with a subtype of island, not a card named island. That is a very good point. If a non-transforming double-faced card becomes a copy of Bioloom Egg and is sacrificed, the card can't be returned to the battlefield transformed because there's yeah. nothing on the back of it. Yeah, it can't, right. But there's nothing there to transform to. There is nothing there to transform. All right. Next up is Blood Vile Purveyor. So this is two black black for a 5-6 vampire. You know, with flying, because as you do. Uh, flying and trample. It says whenever an opponent casts a spell, that player creates a blood token. It also has the triggered ability. Whenever Blood Vile Purveyor attacks, it gets plus one plus zero oh for each blood token defending player controls. Period. And not one sentence not one word more no it's that last ability has been received errata that says until end of turn <laughs> so it gets the plus one plus oh for each blood token defending player controls until end of turn in a multiplayer game so our first time talking about multiplayer games only blood tokens controlled by the player blood vial purveyor is attacking or the controller of a planeswalker it's attacking are counted to determine the bonus of the last ability so in a multiplayer game, if you're swinging at a bunch of opponents, it's only the Blood Vile Purveyor only looks at the uh, the one that the opponents control, where the it only looks at the opponent it's it's heading at. 
So thinking about blood vial purveyor, um, this mm-hmm. flying vampire, I think this is kind of like when I moved to Florida and learned that not only are there roaches down here, but they can fly. Like, not only are there vampires, now they're flying. Now that just, they're also flying. As if it weren't bad enough to be vampires. <laughs> Next up, we have Bride's Gown and Groom's Finery. Mm, fancy. Aren't these cute? So, Bride's Gown is one in a white. Artifact Equipment. Groom's Finery is one in a black. Artifact Equipment. And do, do these do basically the same thing? Okay. Bride's Gown. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus oh. It gets an additional plus oh, plus two. And has first strike as long as an equipment named Groom's Finery is attached to a creature you control. Oh, I get it. And then Groom's Finery. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus O. Oh. It gets an additional plus O, oh, plus two. And has death touch as long as an equipment named Bride's Gown is, a, is attached to a creature you control. Each have an equip cost of two. That is cute. So just to clarify, the wedding theme is a little understated in this set, right? Okay, listen, I what? I give me don't give me so much grief. I'm very nice. <laughs> I'm a very nice person. You should be nice to me. <laughs> None of that is true, audience. In the long sentence, the you is the controller of the equipment, not the controller of the creature the equipment is attached to. If you gain control of a creature equipped with bride's gown, you don't also gain control of the equipment. You can't steal her gown. <laughs> well, you, yeah. I mean, you can steal the creature that's wearing the gown, but the 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 butt bonus might go away. Uh, actually, or does it? Or it gets as long as first strike, as long as Grim's Friend is attached to a creature you control. So how does? Okay. So. No, it would. So if I've got if I've got a creature with bride's gown and a creature with groom's finery, and you steal the bride's gown, or, or sorry, you steal the creature. the creature equipped, so it's going to get the plus two plus zero oh, as long as the equipment named groom's finery is attached to a creature uh, uh, you control. It is attached to a creature you control. However, my creature attached with groom's finery, my bear cub wearing his Sunday best. Yeah, that has got a little smart bow tie. Uh, bride's gown would not be attached to a creature I control, so my bear cub would lose death touch in the plus zero plus two. His finery. His finery, right. Oh my god, I want to draw a little groom's finery bear cub. That's the cutest thing I've thought about all day. Do it. I will. All right. Next card, by invitation only. This is three white white. For a sorcery, choose a number between 0 and 13. That's it. That's all the card says. Just choose a number. Uh, No. Uh, Each player sacrifices that many creatures. So uh, when you choose a number between 0 and 13, 0 and 13 are uh, included in the choices you can make. So you're not like, oh, I can only do 1 to 12 because that's between. No, none of that. Um, If you have less creatures than the chosen number, you're going to sack all of those creatures. So if I choose 12 and you only got 3... You can't be like, oh, I can't sacrifice 12 creatures. Man, I'll lose any. Nope, they're all gone. <laughs> you have to say it exactly like that. You do have to say it exactly like that. All right, so let's talk real quick about how choices like this are made. So cast the spell, choose 11 on resolution, okay? Each player is going to sacrifice that many creatures. So we're going to choose. Uh, actually, let's make it interesting. Let's just say three, okay? The number's three. The counting... Four is right out. No, two. I, I, anyway, <laughs> trying to do a Monty Python Uh-oh. quote, and I'm, I'm exercising brain cells that haven't been used in years. Anyway, um, 
you say three three creatures. So the active player, starting with me, I'm going to choose, and I'm going to indicate these three creatures are the ones I'm going to sacrifice. Then it passes to Sama, and she's going to indicate the three creatures that she's going to sacrifice. No one's actually sacrificed anything yet. And then we're going to go to the next player, and we're going to keep going around in turn order until everyone has made the decision. Everyone who goes gets to know all the creatures the people that went before them in choosing made. Then once we're all done, then we all sacrifice at the same time. All right. All right. Next, we have Chandra dressed to kill. It's a planeswalker for one red red. Legendary planeswalker Chandra. Plus one. Add red. Chandra dressed to kill deals one damage to up to one target player or planeswalker. Next, we have another plus one. Exile the top card of your library. If it's red, you may cast it this turn. And last, we have a minus seven. Exile the top five cards of your library. You may cast red spells from among them this turn. You get an emblem with, whenever you cast a red spell, this emblem deals X damage to any target where X is the amount of mana spent to cast that spell. Nice. And then Chandra Dress to Kill starts at three. Loyalty. So the first ability is not a mana ability, even if no targets are chosen. Cool. Second ability checks the characteristics of the card you exiled to see if it is red. Now, there, there is some modal double face card wackiness here. You are given permission to cast the card if it's red in exile. So a modal double face card that's red on the front but another color on the back, you can still cast the back. Now, that, that, is, that is wacky. Yep. What a game. Yep. What a game this is. Yeah, well. <laughs> there you it go. Gets, it gets even worse. <laughs> but wait, there's more. However, the last ability is different. This is giving you permission to cast red spells, meaning we check with the spell on the stack. That makes sense. That is a very important distinction. So the emblem also looks at the amount of mana spent to cast the spell, not the mana value. Right, so if if you have like cost reductions or something like that. That makes sense. Yeah, okay. Yep. So for the for the second and third ability, you still have to pay to cast the spells. It's not a freebie, unfortunately, but cool that you get the opportunity at least. All right. Uh, the next card is a plant beast called Cultivator Colossus. Look at the size of it. He, yeah, chunk, chunkers. Oh lord, he coming. <laughs> uh, this is four green, green, green for a star, star trampling plant beast. That says cultivators, uh, Cultivator Colossus' power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. Then it says when Cultivator Colossus enters the battlefield, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. If you do, draw a card and repeat this process. Okay, so there's been like a whole mess of videos and a bunch of podcasts talking about this, so we're just going to go over this real quick. The repeat the process part of this card is in resolution of the last trigger. It's not like you do it and then the trigger happens again. So it's all within the same trigger. So anything that that triggers off of drawing a card doesn't doesn't happen. Anything that um, triggers on putting a putting a land onto the battlefield, those triggers are still going to happen. They're still going to go on the stack, but after this ability resolves and all these repeat the processes. Now there is a card called Abundance, which is. If you would draw a card, if you would draw a card, you may choose to ins- you may instead choose land or non-land and reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal card. This is replacing the draw. Okay, so the if you do draw a card and repeat this process becomes if you do 
choose land, look through your library until you find a land, put it on the battlefield, repeat this process. All right. That's that's what you got. All yes, right. That on that. That on that. Next up, we have Demonic Bargain, which is two and a black for a sorcery. Exile the top 13 cards of your library, then search your library for a card. Put that card into your hand, then shuffle. I think a demonic bargain is every time I eat leftovers, I forgot to refrigerate. Ooh. So, notes on this card. It's those... just like a tainted pact? Is that a card? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Making some deals with the devil. Oof. So, those 13 cards stay in exile. If any cards are left in your library, you must choose one of them. This is because you are looking for a card, not looking for a card with a quality. If looking for a card with a quality... You are you are allowed to fail to find, but yeah, it, yeah. I, I see why that is. Like you don't want to reveal what cards your cards may or may not have, but you you do have to admit that they are in fact cards. <laughs> right, right. There's there's no there's no secret there. You are in fact looking through cards. Right. So if I if I look through my twelve cards, if I have like get a creature card and I look through my remaining thirteen cards. You know, do I have to, if I don't want to find something, how do I prove to my opponent that I don't have any more creatures in my library? Right. Right. They they will not be fooled as to whether or not you have cards, though. Probably not. <laughs> if you have fewer than 13 cards in your library when you cast this, you exile your entire library and don't get a card to put into your hand. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's a, that's a huge bummer. It is. Actually, maybe somebody will find something clever to do with that. I don't know. Interesting info, though. Uh, well, I mean, if you just exile the top 13 cards of your library and then play, uh, was it Thassa's Oracle? Because you're an awful person. <laughs> anyway, speaking of awful people, Aeroth, Tormented Prophet. I actually have no idea if she's a horrible person. But is for one, blue-red is a 2-4 legendary creature human wizard. It says, if you would draw a card, exile the top two cards of your library instead. You may play those cards this turn. All right. So even if you have no cards in your library, uh, Aerith, Eruth, Baby Ruth, I don't know, is going <laughs> to replace it. And you're going to exile up to two cards. And I say up to two cards. You're, you're going to try and exile as many cards as you got up to two. Um, now, cool thing, uh, you can't lose the game as a result of drawing your library with Eruth because you you aren't actually drawing any cards. What draw a card replacement effect wouldn't be complete without talking about Sylvan Library? Oh boy. Yeah, so Sylvan Library says, at the beginning of your draw step, you may draw two additional cards. If you do, choose two cards in each uh, in your hand drawn this turn. For each of those cards, pay four life or put the card on top of your library. So the way this works with Eruth is, you know, you, you draw your card for your draw step, which you really don't. You just exile those two cards instead. And then you can draw two additional cards. Well, you're going to exile now four cards. So you've exiled a total of six cards. Okay. If you do, which you did, choose two cards in your hand drawn this turn. But you can't. You haven't actually drawn anything yet. For each of those cards, which there's zero, pay four life or put that card on top of your library. I don't got to pay nothing. I don't got any cards that I've put in my hand. You tell them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Next oh, up we... and, and if you don't play those cards, though, they, they stay in exile. Yeah. yeah. They live there now. That's their home. 
Foreboding Statue and Forsaken Thresher. Here's a flippy flip card. Artifact Creature Construct. So for Foreboding Statue is an Artifact Creature Construct. For three generic, it's a 1-2 with a, an activated ability. So you tap, add one mana of any color, put an omen counter on Foreboding Statue. Then at the beginning of your end step, if there are three or more omen counters on Foreboding Statue, untap it, then transform it. And it turns into Forsaken Thresher, artifact creature construct, and it's a 5-5. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, add one mana of any color. That's a cool dude. These remind me of those things in Ocarina of Time that if you get too close, they just rise out of the ground and start swinging at you. Are they in Ocarina of Time or are they in um, uh, Breath of the Wild? Breath of the Wild is the ones where they shoot lasers at you. The ones that rise oh. up out of the ground and, and flail you are those big seed pod looking anyway. Oh, okay. Anyway, I, I know a few things about I, Zelda. <laughs> well, I, did, I have not played Breath of the Wild, but I have played... <gasps> or not, not... I have played Breath of the Wild. I have not played Ocarina of Time. <gasps> we will have a separate discussion about that later. Oh, to I'm be continued trouble. on that. Oh, my but, God. Oh, my mean. Lord. Okay. Anyway, Foreboding Statue has an intervening if trigger. Which means the counter thing has to be true in order to put it on the stack and when it resolves in order to transform. So unless you have four plus counters on Foreboding Statue, you can't tap it for mana in response to the transformation trigger and still get it to transform. Huh. Yep. Well, all right. Yep. So. All right. Griffwing Calvary. Oh my god, another one of these birds with hooves! Right. Go find God. the go find, go find the bird with the hoof, the the weird straight leg hooves from uh, Midnight Hunt. It's unsettling. But for three and a white, we have a two two human knight on a wrong looking griffin, um, with flying and training. And whenever Griffwing Cavalry attacks, you may pay one and a white. If you do, target attacking creature without flying gains flying until end of turn. Okay, so this is um. This is not a reflexive trigger because it says when Griffwing Calvary attacks, you may pay one and a white if you do target attacking creature without flying, not when you do. So this is not a reflexive trigger. You target the creature when the ability is put on the stack, but you decide to pay as it resolves. It's like, why is it written this way? Probably because it's a little less obnoxious on like arena if you don't have any other creatures or if all your creatures have flying already. I'm guessing. Oh, maybe. Good point. Yeah, I'm just kind of guessing, I hope. Don't tell them you're guessing. Tell tell the audience that you know things and it is just true. Well, then, We're confident here. <laughs> oh, I'm very, very confident. We know things. We're very smart. So next up we have Heron of Hope, which has a normal number of hooves for a bird, which is zero. They might not be folded up. Stop which that. Which is even weirder. I but can't this, live with that. Well, We're actually, this is a bird. This this isn't a, this isn't a, a griff wing. Well, I don't know that the Griffwing isn't a bird, mate. I well, don't no, know. No, it's, it's a human knight. This is an actual The human bird. knights are on the bird. That's, oh, anyway. Anyway, Heron of Hope. Three and a white. Creature bird. It's a two, three with flying. If you would gain life, you gain that much life plus one instead. And then an activated ability for one and a white. Heron of Hope gains lifelink until end of turn. Cute. So, oh, two Herons of Hope. Heron of Hope's stack so you would gain plus two life easy peasy it does just apply once per life gaining event fair enough each creature with lifelink dealing combat damage causes a separate life gaining event 
And here's for the real fun stuff. In, two, in a two-headed giant game, life gained by your teammate doesn't count as you gaining life, despite your team's life total increasing. Oh, that's such a bummer. <laughs> Very sinister laugh. Yep. Wish it worked that way. Yep. We don't get to have fun things. We do not get to have fun things, no ma'am. All right, inspired idea. For two and a blue, it's a sorcery with cleave, three blue, blue. So the full text of the card is, draw three cards. Your maximum hand size is reduced by three for the rest of the game. The cleave cost, though, is just draw three cards. You know, so it's got kicker. It's not kicker. (laughs) All right. So your hand size, just as a reminder, your hand size only matters during the end step when you have to discard. You have to discard during your... Uh, during the instep, you do not have to keep at let's let's say you started at seven. You don't have to have the max of four cards. Anytime you go over four, you have to discard. It's only during the instep. Now, if multiple effects modify your hand size, they are applied in timestamp order. So if you have something like mm, Null Profusion that sets your hand size to two. And then you play Inspired Idea, your max hand size is going to be zero. Because two minus three is zero. Don't think about it. Oh, that's that's cute. Okay. But if we reverse the order of the cards and say you cast Inspired Idea first and then Null Perfusion, your hand size is going to be two. Additionally, if you have no max hand size, then you get to be like this uh, uh, fourth grader that just figured out what infinity is and is like, what's infinity minus three? Hmm? The answer is still infinity. I was going to say, we need to get some of our like math people on here, like Daniel Lee and some of the other judges we know that are all up into math majors to explain what your hand size would be. <laughs> It'll be the limit as X approaches uh, next card, please. <laughs> Okay, wait, I would like to add, though, that I think it would be much better if your hand size were limited to two and then minus three, that your hand size would be negative one and you would just mill a card each turn. <laughs> you just have to give a card to your opponent. Yeah, yes. See, now now we're cooking. Now oh. we're thinking in portals. Oof. All right, next up we have Jacob Hauken Inspector and the flip side, which is Hauken's Insight. So Mr. Jacob here is a legendary creature, human advisor, cost one and a blue for a a zero two, activated ability of tap, draw a card, then exile a card from your hand face down. You may look at that card for as long as it remains exiled. You may pay four blue blue. If you do, transform Jacob Hauken Inspector. So on the flip side, Hauken's Insight, it's a legendary enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library face down. You may look at that card for as long as it remains exiled. Once during each of your turns, you may play a land or cast a spell from among the cards exiled with this permanent without paying its mana cost. Sweet! So paying the four blue blue is is part of the resolution of the activated ability. Good note there. Mm -hmm. On Halkin's Insight, the play cast ability still needs you to follow timing restrictions. Yeah. Because it says the cards exiled with this permanent, you can cast spells exiled with Jacob because it's still the same permanent. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Unless it's blinked or goes to the command zone or something because it turns into a brand new thing if it comes back. Yep. Or goes somewhere else. Yeah. All right. Cool, cool. Uh, I have a feeling, or I kind of want Inspector Gadget 
alters of this card. Ooh. Do, 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 do. Next Inspector card. Inspector Gadget. Lacerate Flesh. <laughs> Next card. I don't remember that lyric. <laughs> I, it was something, Doctor. Uh, was it Mr. Claw, Dr. Claw, or whatever? Yeah, with his cat. Like, would like, yeah, yeah, that was the name of the cat. What? Um, Lacerate it? Flesh. Uh, for four and a order red it's a sorcery lacerate flesh deals four damage to target creature create a number of blood tokens equal to the equal to the amount of excess damage dealt to that creature this way so this is just a reminder excess damage is the damage over the minimum amount of damage required to be lethal damage this can take into consideration any damage previously dealt this turn to the creature so if you're hitting a four four that's already been like lightning bolted then you're gonna the excess damage is gonna be three. Same if you somehow give lacerate flesh death touch. Yes. Then you're gonna get three blood tokens. That's the jam right there. B L U D. Only the U has an umlaut over it. Blood. Blood. <laughs> blood tokens. Blood tokens. Next we have magma pummeler for X red red creature elemental. It's a zero zero hmm. magma pub. Magma pummeler. Mm. We get we're doing something fun here. So magma. Ma, ah, I cannot say this word. Magma pummeler. Magma mummeler. <laughs> Why is this so hard? This homie enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it. If damage would be dealt to magma pummeler while it has a plus one plus one counter on it. Prevent that damage and remove that many plus one plus one counters from it. When one or more counters are removed from Magma Pummeler this way, it deals that much damage to any target. That is fun. I like that. So if an amount of damage would be dealt to Magma Pummeler greater than its counters on it, all the damage is prevented, but then all the counters are removed and it's probably a zero zero and gonna die. So the, the reflexive trigger will still trigger though. So at least at least there's that. Also, the whole while it has a plus one plus one counter on it is to prevent old tricks of giving it plus one plus one with some other effect, then having all damage prevented. Yeah, because because what happens is a lot of old cards used to say um, for each, you know, prevent all damage and then remove a plus one plus one counter from it. Well, if and the creature would be a zero zero. But if you had something like, you know. Uh, a card out that a uh, guy's blessing out that gave everything plus one plus one. Yeah, it would ha- it could have no counters on it, so it could just it would just always prevent the damage and then remove no counters and still be alive. So this way, if it doesn't have any counters on it and is propped up with a guy's blessing, the damage isn't prevented; it can still die. Oh, that's so clever! I never would have thought of that. That's so it's, clever. It's a little wordy, but it does its thing. All right. Next up is Militia Rallier. Two and a white for a 3-3 human soldier. Militia Rallier can't attack alone. And whenever Militia Rallier attacks, untap target creature. Okay, so you can't use this to attack with an already tapped creature. Okay. Uh, you're, You're basically giving another creature vigilance, but like another attacking creature vigilance, but you that's what it's trying to do. But you really can't the way the rules work. Right. Um, Fair enough. But now this could have been done with like an at the beginning of combat trigger, but those get kind of messy with tournament shortcuts. So anyway, I feel like I'm getting all the two faced cards. Do you want? Do you want to switch out? I don't. I'm okay. 
on being a champion. All right. I'm looking ahead. You'll <laughs> regret it. Oh, no. Okay. What? <laughs> no. Okay. Anyway, Mirror Hall Mimic and Ghastly Mimicry are two sides to this card. So Mirror Hall Mimic for three and a blue is a creature spirit, zero, zero. You may have Mirror Hall Mimic enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it's a spirit in addition to its other types. And then it's got a Disturb cost of three blue blue. You may cast this card from your graveyard transformed for its Disturb cost. So Ghastly Mimicry on this backside here is an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. At the beginning of your upkeep, create a token that's a copy of an a copy of Enchanted Creature, except it's a spirit in addition to its other types. If Ghastly Mimicry would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Cool, so Mirror Hall Mimic copies exactly what is printed on the card. So if you copy an animated land, you have a land. Exception, if the chosen creature is already copying something else, the Mirror Hall, Mim the Mirror Hall Mimic enters the battlefield as whatever the chosen creature copied. So it's copying the copy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If the copied creature has an X in the mana cost, X is considered to be zero. Fair enough. If you copy a transforming creature and meet the transformation criteria, you will transform Mirror Hall Mimic into Ghastly Mimicry, but it will still be the OG copy. What? Yeah. The original gangster. Well, I know OG. what original gangster is. What? 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 I'm trying but, to figure out how this works. Because you've got a copy effect on top of the card. So you'll have an effect that tells you to transform the creature. Go, oh, okay, I'm going to transform it. And you transform the physical card under the copy effect. Because the oh copy effect's God. still there. It's that same conversation we've had before. You know I've already forgotten. <laughs> There's so much going on. All right. Next up is Overcharged Amalgam is basically what happens when I take my daughter shopping. <laughs> I, I And I have to carry everything. I am just an overcharged amalgam. So anyway, two blue blue for a 3-3 three, three zombie horror. It has flash. It has flying. It's a floor wax and a dessert topping. <laughs> it is... What? <laughs> it's an old, old Saturday Night Live skit. Uh, it has flash, it has flying, it has exploit, and then when overcharged amalgam exploits a creature, counter target spell, activated ability, or triggered ability. As a reminder, activated abilities have a colon, not an actual physical colon, but like the little two little dots in the in the sentence. Uh, the colon might also be buried in the reminder text, like for crew or equip. Mm, that's true. Triggered abilities, they have the good old words when, whenever, or at. If you counter a delayed triggered ability that triggers at the beginning of the next step or phase, that ability won't trigger again. Reminder, you cannot use exploit to target mana abilities, but you can use it to counter um, uh, Chandra Dress to Kill's first ability, because we already said that's not a mana ability. Mm. Yep, yep. And then replacement effects like as this enters the battlefield, end quote, can't be targeted because they're replacement effects. Fair enough. Yes. Next, we have Parish Blade Trainee for one and a white creature human soldier. It's a one, two with training. So whenever this creature attacks with another creature with greater power, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. We talked about earlier. When Parish Blade Trainee dies, put its counters on target creature you control. Oh, that's sad. That is sad. So, 
Because it died and gave all its training to someone else. Anyway. The last ability puts all counters onto the target creature, not just the plus one plus one counters. Oh, now that's interesting. Good to know. Per the rules, you aren't quote-unquote moving the counters. You are just putting the same number of each kind of counter onto the target creature. Ozolith tax. Since you aren't quote-unquote moving counters, it's possible for multiple permanents to get the counters. Yeah. Hmm. So Ozolith is, is a permanent that just, whenever something dies, it just gets those counters also. That's real clever. Yeah. So if you have an Ozolith out, and Parish Blade Trainee dies, then the creature's going to get the counters, and Ozolith is going to get the counters also. Good for you, Ozolith. You deserve nice things. <laughs> if Parish Blade Trainee has negative one, negative one counters on it when it dies, the last ability will include those as well, so don't forget them. This may result in the recipient also dying, so beware. Beware. Womp. All right. One of the coolest pieces of artwork in the set. This is awful. Absolutely not. I'm so sorry I looked at this. <laughs> Patchwork Crawler for one in a blue is a 1-2 zombie horror. As opposed to just a regular zombie. This one is a zombie horror. Which I guess the amalgam was a zombie horror too. A zombie delightful. Yeah. <laughs> so Patchwork Crawler has the ability for two in a blue exile target creature card from your graveyard. Put a plus one plus one counter on Patchwork Crawler. Patchwork Crawler has all activated abilities of all creatures exiled with it. So this is only going to gain activated abilities. Um, if an activated ability of a card in exile references its own name, it really means this. So so if the card says, you know, um, actually I'm blanking on an example. But basically if a card's activated ability references its own name, just treat it like this for the purpose of Patchwork Crawler. If I have two patchwork crawlers, each track their own exiled cards independently because patchwork crawler is not known to share. If patch if a patchwork crawler leaves the battlefield and comes back, it's a new object and loses all those abilities that it it had accrued. Those cards that are in exile, they're just there. There they are. Yep. Um, if you exile a double face card with your patch patchwork crawler. You only get the activated abilities on the front side. And if an activated ability is linked to another ability and Patchwork Crawler doesn't get that linked ability, then the activated ability won't do anything. Next up we His have... His name is Patches. <laughs> Ugh. I, every time I look at this art, I'm just really sad to have looked at it. Yeah, it's like... That's it's, awful. It's like made up of knuckles. God! <laughs> This knuckle-based entity. It's just a well, knuckle. Well, so Patchwork Crawler, I thought he would look patchier. And I, I, now that you expanded, I do see some, like, Frankenstein-y, like, yeah. seams here. But he just, he looks like, like Akira. He, like, he's melting. Like Tetsuo, but you know? Look like look at all those thumbnails. God. It's just... Look at all those thumbnails is not a thing I ever want to hear. I'm moving along to Soul Cipher Board. I have... So Soul Cipher Board has the backside Cipher Bound Spirit, and this is clearly meant to be like a Ouija board. And I have a lot of thoughts about Ouija boards, but that's a conversation for another time. I love them. Is this so, going to be after our conversation about how I haven't played Zelda? Oh my god! Yeah, we we need okay. JudgeCast after hours to have really stupid <laughs> okay. conversations, even Judge worse Cast than the after ones. Dark. Yeah, that we have here. Um, so Soul Cipher Board, one in a blue for an artifact. Soul Cipher Board enters the battlefield with three Omen counters on it. 
then activated ability, one blue and tap. Look at the top two cards of your library. Put one of them into your graveyard. Whenever a creature card is put into your graveyard from anywhere, remove an omen counter from Soul Cipher board. Then, if it has no omen counters on it, transform it. So that's how we get Cypherbound Spirit. It's a creature spirit 3-2 with flying. Cypherbound Spirit can block only creatures with flying. Oh, okay. For three and a blue activated ability, draw two cards, then discard a card. That's a neat, neat little dude. <laughs> so... Soul Cipher Board's last ability triggers when a creature card is put into a graveyard from anywhere. This is different from when a creature is put into a graveyard. Basically, it looks at the card as it exists in the graveyard, not as it was on the battlefield. So an animated land going to the graveyard wouldn't trigger this. But a double-faced card that is a creature on the front and an enchantment on the back would. Cool. Tokens aren't creature cards, so they won't trigger Soul Cipher Board. Good try, though. Yep. All right. Next up is... I hate this card. Oh, like, I like this card. Well, it's it's a neat effect, but I play a lot of Commander, and this is just... Oh, wait a minute, though. Didn't we have a whole conversation about slime counters? We did. You should... This is, like, your card, then. I, slime counters. So, last last episode... So, we'll, we'll talk... Let's talk about the card. And you'll see it's even in the release <laughs> notes, I call it out. So, this is Toxril the Corrosive. For five black black, it is a 7-7 seven, seven legendary slug horror that says at the beginning of each end step, not each of your end steps, but each end step, put a slime counter on each creature you don't control. Creatures you don't control get minus one, minus one for each slime counter on them. Whenever a creature you don't control with a slime counter on it dies, create a 1-1... One, one black slug creature token and then for blue and a black sacrifice a slug draw a card so yes last episode they introduced a card and i was like how come how come there's no slime counter support why why isn't there there's only one other card that references slime counters and they don't even interact why wizards did this for you brian Brian, no i don't think so because like as someone that plays a lot of commander like i look at it and this is clearly a very very powerful card but I, I hate it because just one trip around the board, it can it can give every it can give everything minus four minus four. It's that just rules. Eh, meh. Why do you hate fun? Well, it's this is opposite of fun. This is people. All the people's creatures are dying slowly. That sounds like fun if they're not my creatures. Oh yes, it's it's only fun if it's fun is a zero sum game. Anyway, this is going to be my commander. This cares. One. This cares about creatures dying with counters, not dying from counters. So if it's got a minus, if it's got a slime counter on it and, you know, it gets doom bolted, a creature gets doom bolted, you know, you're going to still get your 1-1 black slug creature token. Yeah. Hey. Hey now. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Anyway. That's pretty clever. All right. Next we have Voice of the Blessed for White White. It's a creature spirit cleric. It's 2-2. Whenever you gain life, put a plus one, plus one counter on Voice of the Blessed. As long as Voice of the Blessed has four or more plus one, plus one counters on it, it has flying and vigilance. As long as Voice of the Blessed has ten or more plus one, plus one counters on it, it has indestructible. Holy smokes. So the first ability just triggers once per life-gaining event. If Voice of the Blessed is dealt lethal damage at the same time you would gain life the counter won't save it. 
Oh, I forgot yeah. that. That's true. Oh, yeah. bummer. Gaining flying after Voice of the Blessed has become blocked won't cause it to become unblocked. That's true. I remember yeah. that. And, you know, if you're playing in a two-headed giant game, life gained by your teammate won't cause the first ability to trigger, even though your life total, you know, your life total went up. So, we... Womp womp. Yep. Um... All right, next up is Voldaren Bloodcaster, which transforms into Bloodbat Summoner. <laughs> Blood. Bloodbat. So Voldaren Bloodcaster is one in a black for a 2-1 vampire wizard uh, that tr that says it has flying. Whenever Voldaren Bloodcaster or another non-token creature you control dies, create a blood token. And whenever you create a blood token... If you control five or more blood tokens, transform Voldaren Bloodcaster. So let's let's talk just a second before we uh, before we transform into Bloodbat Summoner from Bloodcaster. Voldaren Bloodcaster has an intervening if trigger when it resolves. So whenever you create a blood token, if you control five or more, okay. So you create it. Do you have five? You're going to transform it. You can't sacrifice your blood tokens after you put the trigger on the stack or else the ability will not resolve and you will not transform into Bloodbat Summoner. Okay. Bloodbat Summoner is a 3-3 vampire wizard with flying uh, that says at the beginning of combat on your turn up to one target blood token you control becomes a 2-2 black bat creature with flying and haste in addition to its other types. So your little vial of blood sprouts wings and goes all flippy-flappy. There's still blood tokens. That rules. Now, here's a here's an interesting thing. It says um, it, it becomes a 2-2 black creature token with flying and haste in addition to its other types. If it didn't have that in addition to its other types, it would just be a 2-2 black bat creature. Okay, so, but because it retains its other types, it's going to be a artifact creature blood bat 2-2 two, two, that's black. It's a blood bat. And it's even, oh, look at that. It's even in the name because it's that's blood so, bat. So festive. Uh, yeah, that's a word. So festive for the occasion. Festive. So I, oh. I think the last one on our list here is mm -hmm. wedding announcement and wedding festivity. Now, so just to clarify... This this set, the wedding theme was kind of understated. Will you leave me be? <laughs> I know things, all right, sometimes, but not all the times. And this is the card I looked ahead to see. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Somebody collect this man. Wedding announcement is for two and a white is an enchantment. At the beginning of your instep, put an invitation counter on wedding announcement. If you attacked with two or more creatures this turn, draw a card. Otherwise, create a 1-1 one, one white human creature token. Then, if wedding announcement has three or more invitation counters on it, transform it. Turns into wedding festivity. An enchantment. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So, wedding announcement looks back in time to the combat phase or phases. If you attacked with at least two creatures, you will draw a card. If those permanents aren't creatures... Even, even if those, yeah, even if those permanents aren't creatures or on the battlefield anymore, makes sense. Transforming is part of the ability that puts the invitation counters on wedding announcement. Proliferating at other times won't cause it to transform. Bummer. For reasons, for reasons, yep. the invitation counters will stay on wedding announcement as it transforms. What are those reasons? 
Uh, just for reasons. I mean, they just do. Yeah, I guess. Like the the reason is the rules. Yeah, I was like, this sounded so ominous and sneaky, but I I think that just is how the game works. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, those uh those two people they uh they clean up good. They do clean up good. I mean, they're cute in the beginning, but I, I like them in their wedding finery. That's very nice. Very nice. Yep. And that's uh that's it. That's the the last card. Have you gotten to uh, play much of this set yet? Have you gotten to try out any of it? No, no. I was this this past weekend was my daughter's like sixteenth birthday friend celebration thing, so uh, I got to uh, chaperone a bunch of kids to the Sugar Factory. I'm so jealous. <laughs> the Sugar Factory rules. Oh, I hated every minute of it. So he hates fun, folks. I'm telling it's, you. No, no, no. That's not fun. It's just loud, overpriced. Like, I don't want to pay $40 for $3 of chicken nuggets or chicken but, tenders. But, but, but they probably have like whipped cream and sprinkles on them or something, you know? Like, eh, it's different. Okay, okay. Add another 75 cents for whipped cream, for a spritz of whipped cream and a spoonful of sugar uh, sprinkles. It's the but, experience. Uh, my daughter enjoyed it. See? And then there was there was teenage teenage drama after dinner. Of course, it, there there was as you do. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was it was fun. You did that instead of a vampire wedding, which is fair. Yeah, did you have fun with it? So I ha- I opened the Peerless Kit and I've not gotten to play with it yet. I'm I'm ready to though. I'm excited because yeah, I, as you can imagine, I still haven't looked at all the cards in this set yet. But I will, I will, and I'm very excited you to know, see what well, when going you look on at the it. cards, you might notice that there's a wedding theme. Turns out, you know, surprise, surprise wedding for just me, just me, surprise. Yeah. Um. But yeah. All right, friends. So that's our episode. Join us next time when we talk about some kind of a topic. Until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at JudgeCast. Till next time, I'm Samantha Har and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prilliman and it's a nice day to start again. <laughs>
Oh, it's the just the adventure of Link. Okay. So, um, Link's Awakening was actually the first Zelda game I ever played, the original one. Um, my grandma got it for me for Christmas on my Game Boy. And I loved that game. Um, I have not played every Zelda game, but I have played most Zelda games, and I love them dearly, dearly. So, I loved uh, the, the Super Nintendo Zelda. Me too. Uh, I... I loved Zelda, Zelda OG Zelda. And then I went through this period where I just didn't get anything. And then I got Wind Waker. See, that uh, one I have not played yet. That I hated it. One. Yeah, the animation, like, I'm, I'm willing to give it a try, but I, I didn't love the animation style. Oh, it wasn't the animation style. It was just being on a stupid boat. What's wrong with being on a boat? It's just being on a boat a whole lot. And then I think I got twilight princess and then yeah. i didn't like i didn't like it because that's that stupid little fairy that made me you know, i guess i don't know the little the little wee pointer thing hated it hated it midna midna is one of those characters that like it's bizarre <laughs> don't include that in judge cast <laughs> well, no i probably am gonna forget to edit out that but don't edit that out but what or is, do edit that out but 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 it's just a dot with wings oh you're are you talking about navi the fairy yeah who are you talking about midna from oh 